Gamma going one, two, three, four, one, two. Got me going. tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. Thanks for uh, tuning in again, my friends. Uh, we've had a little bit of a hi- hiatus here. Um, I was working out some bugs with SoundCloud. It was nothing, uh, no censorship issues or anything like that. I had some, uh, just some other stuff going on with them that we've gotten straightened out right in, uh, we've got straightened out finally. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, since the last show, the Emergencies Act was put in and then retracted. Uh, a lot of you have different theories, varying theories as to why that may be. Uh, we're going to cover that today. We are going to go, obviously, into the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. I don't know if I really want to word it like that. Um, the Russian advancing on uh, specific Ukrainian um uh, areas I guess would be the way I'd like to word it um it's very difficult to navigate through this one when with a foreign conflict like that when all you have is propaganda available to you in North America it's extremely difficult to know what is actually going on um so when it comes to something like that we're going to just basically take uh information from straight from the horse's mouth we're going to listen to uh, what Putin himself has had to say. Um, um, we'll kind of judge from there what, what we kind of think is happening. Um, specifically what he's targeting, what he's doing, and what he, why he believes uh, you know, he, what he's doing is right. Um, you know, when you've got the entirety of the globalist puppet network speaking out against this invasion, that itself is a huge tell. Um, there I go calling it an invasion again, <laughs> but, uh, the fact that you've got all the globalist puppets, uh, you know, Trudeau, Biden, uh, all your, all your, uh, WEF world economic forum members, uh, are all, are all speaking out against it. Now, with that being said, we were also quite aware that P- Putin himself is a, is a member of the WEF young leaders program. So it's very hard to know. If this is, is this, is this just an, a distraction? 
uh, a narrative to get us looking the other way while they do specific things. We're going to try and at least clear some of that up today. But what I want to do first is I want to focus <clears throat> locally on uh, <clears throat> what uh, the Ontario government has been doing uh, to people that have been that have been peacefully protesting in Ottawa. And this uh, this was sent to me by way of chef and uh, uh, it was written by trucknews.com. And the title reads, MTO grounds trucking businesses involved in freedom convoy protests. The Ontario Ministry of Transportation has effectively shut down 39 trucking businesses in the wake of a crackdown on so-called freedom convoy protesters. Obviously, you can tell which way this writer doesn't list his name. It was written on February 23rd, his, his or her name. But you can just tell by that first sentence which way they sway, right? Responding to questions from trucknews.com, the ministry confirmed that 12 suspension and seizure orders were issued on Ontario-based large truck operations involved in the protest, suspending their operating authority throughout Canada and issuing an order to seize all the plates registered to them. Holy <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. <clears throat> I, I, at this point, I hope nobody lists, well, none, nobody listening to this show is under the illusion that Canada is a free country anymore. Uh, they're proving it every single day by this behavior. Protesters from outside the province face sanctions of their own. 27 seizure orders were issued to large truck operators from outside the province, banning them from operating any commercial motor vehicle in Ontario. The names of the sanctioned businesses, as well as the, numbers, uh, the number of affected trucks, were not revealed. In an effort to preserve future police investigations into the illegal, heavy air quotes, illegal occupation in Ottawa, that, that, that rhetoric is treasonous, if you really want my opinion. Like, it's, it's, in our, it's in our actual charter that we have the right to assembly, we have the right to peaceful assembly, and we have the right to protest. So this illegal occupation nonsense coming out of this... <clears throat> not just them, but the mouths of our, our so-called leaders is just complete horse shit. Oh, the ministry will not release the names of affected businesses at this time, a ministry spokesperson said. Plates were also suspended for 24 passenger vehicles from Ontario and 34 passenger vehicles from outside the province. Ottawa police say 115 vehicles were towed during the protests. And that's just kind of a, an update of how the tyranny has continued uh, through the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario. Now, I wonder if the provinces are going to work together. I have no doubt they probably will. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, where I'm in, not necessarily me myself, but where my province is involved, is the Ontario Ministry of Transportation now in talks with SGI Canada, or the Highway Department of Highways is what it's called here. And the Department of Highways ultimately is the government... Um, division that determines whether you can drive or not. Now, <clears throat> any of you that have gone through the uh, the wrong side of the law have probably found yourself in front of a, high, a highway traffic board hearing. Um, so you know full well who actually is pulling the strings in in Saskatchewan. It's it's the uh, highway traffic board. Sorry, Department of Highways, I was calling it before. That's That's our maintenance. The highway traffic board. Um, and SGI answers to them, Saskatchewan Government Insurance. So it'll be interesting to see if the Ford government reaches out to the Mo government and uh, 
and effectively they try to do the same thing here, which wouldn't surprise me at all. You heard of the numbers of, of trucks that uh, outside of the province that they were 34 passenger vehicles from outside the province. So passenger vehicles, they're just talking about regular vehicles, but they did also mention um, 39 trucking businesses. 27 seizure orders were issued to large truck operators from outside the province. 27. So the R- obviously the RCMP, they do not, they uh, operate from coast to coast to coast. So the RCMP would probably honor this. Uh, but I would imagine there's going to be some red tape provincially. So we'll see how this actually plays out. Um, <clears throat> I'll keep my eyes on the local news like I always do just to see if uh, if the um, SGI and uh, and they start working with the Ontario government. And I'll let you know if there's any seizures or plate revokes, uh, <clears throat> any plates being revoked in Saskatchewan. Anyway, my friends, we've got... <sighs> quite a bit of reading and stuff to listen to today so let's uh let's get the show started we'll be right back welcome friends to canadian patriot radio where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Right, welcome back, my friends. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the flip-flopping of the Emergencies Act by the uh, Canadian federal government. We're, <clears throat> we're going to first focus on an article by The Last Refuge. Um, the title reads, Boom, Trudeau Reversal, Motive Surfaces. Canadian Banking Association was approved by World Economic Forum to lead the digital ID creation. This was written on February 23rd by uh, Sundance. They, they've got a... <laughs> They've got a great uh, call sign for themselves there. They're 
almost like CPR where we uh, use call signs just for the simple fact that if Bill C- C11 gets through, um, not that they don't already know who I am. They've, they've already, they Obviously, they probably do. But um, to protect our contributors, I always ask for call signs because <clears throat> you just never know how deep this fascist liberal government is going to go. All right, let's jump into this here. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. A promotional video from the Canadian Bankers Association, the CBA, helps to neatly connect all the dots about why the Canadian government made such a quick reversal in their banking asset seizure in the last 24 hours. And yes, as, as we suspected, it's, it was almost certainly um, contact from the World Economic Forum to Canadian Finance Minister Christian Freeland that triggered the change in position. When Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Finance Minister Christian Freeland announced they would use the Emergency Act declaration to target the financial support systems, banks and accounts of the people who were protesting against COVID mandates, they not only undermined the integrity of the Canadian banking system, they also inadvertently struck a wrench into the plans of the World Economic Forum and the collaborative use of the Canadian Bankers Association to create a digital ID. If the Canadian government can arbitrarily block citizens' access to their banking institution without any due process, what does that say about the system the Canadian Banking Association was putting into place as part of their digital ID network? If the the CBA uh, digital identity were in place, the same people targeted by Trudeau's use of the Emergency Act would have their entire identity blocked uh, by the same government measures. The realization of the issue, reflected by a severe undermining of faith in the banking system, is a dramatic problem for those working to create and promote the digital ID. It's not coincidental coincidental that the financial targeting mechanism deployed by the Trudeau Freeland, uh, by Trudeau Freeland, the Canadian banking system, and the same system being used to create the digital identity. As a result of the government targeting bank accounts, Finance Minister Christian uh, uh, Freeland just created a reference point for those who would argue against allowing the creation of a comprehensive digital identity. The motives for the World Economic Forum and the Canadian Bankers Association to immediately reach out to Trudeau and Freeland and tell them to back off their plan is now crystal clear. That is almost certainly why Freeland appeared so admonished, shocked and incapable of getting her footing yesterday and why the Canadian government simultaneously informed Parliament they were unfreezing the the bank accounts. Justin Trudeau and Christian Freeland essentially broke the financial code of uh, Omerda by highlighting how easy it is for governments to seize your bank accounts, credit cards, retirement accounts, insurance, mortgages, loan access, and cut you off from money without due process. The unintended consequence was an immediate and clear reference point if government did the same action with the digital ID in place. However, this undermined confidence and faith in the banking system cannot be restored quickly. The toothpaste cannot be put back into the tube. The horse has left the barn. Quickly, this this becomes a moment for an immediate damage control by the Canadian government. This explains why Justin Trudeau dropped the declaration of, of the Emergency Act. It all makes sense now, all of it. Indeed, the government leaders who take their instructions from a multinational, uh, from the multinational corporations in charge of the World Economic Forum, which is to say almost all of them, are so entrenched in their need to use COVID-19 as the pry bar for the Build Back Better agenda, they simply cannot let it go. Without COVID-19, they, can, they can't keep the vaccination push. Without the vaccination push, they can't keep the vaccine passport process in place. 
Without the vaccine passport registration process to track and monitor human behavior, the government authorities cannot fulfill the mission of a comprehensive digital ID and social credit tracking system. Indeed, everything they seek is contingent upon keeping the premise of COVID-19 alive. It is not accidental the World Economic Forum is at the epicenter of this. As we previously noted, the architects of the Build Back Better Society, the World Economic Forum, are guiding various governments on ways to create efficient registration and compliance systems, i.e. ways that permit citizens to prove their vaccination and compliance status. As these discussions are taking place, it is prudent to pause and think very carefully and wisely. We all know, as we are reading this, under the guise of enhancing our safety, the U.S. federal government is in discussions with the medical community, multinational corporations, and employers of citizens to create a more efficient process for you to register your vaccine compliance. We know the conversation under the terminology of COVID passport, the current goal is to make a system for us to show and prove our authorized work status, which, as you know, is based on your obedience to net to a mandated vaccine. Beta tests are being conducted in various nations, each with different perspectives and constitutional limitations based on pesky, archaic rules and laws that govern freedom. For the Western, uh, for the Western, for our lack of better word, democratic outlook, Australia, New Zealand, France, and Europe are leading the way in their techno, uh, technological system of uh, vaccination checkpoints and registered state national vaccination status tied to your registra- registration identification. New York joined the vaccine checkpoint process as their city now requires the vaccine to enter all private businesses. Los Angeles soon followed. The Australian electronic checkpoints are essentially gateways where QR codes are being scanned from the the cell phones of the compliant vaccinated citizens. Yes, comrade, there is an app for that. (laughs) Currently, the vaccine status scans are registered by happy compliant workers, greeters at the entry uh, to the business or venue. Indeed, the Walmart greeter has a new gadget to scan your phone prior to allowing you uh, custody of a shopping cart. In restaurants, the host or hostess has a similar compliance scanner to check you, check you in prior to seating, uh, seating or a reservation confirmation. It's simple and fun. You pull up your QR code and your cell phone on your cell phone, aka portable transponder and registration device, using the registration app, and your phone is scanned, delivering a green check response to confirm your correct vac- vaccination status and authorized entry. The Australian government at both federal and state level is working closely with big tech companies thirsting for the national contract to evaluate the best universal process that can be deployed nationwide. As noted by all six premiers in the states down under, hardware scanners and software registration systems are being tested to find the most comprehensive, convenient, portable, portable units to settle upon. Meanwhile, in the U.S., cities like Los Angeles and New York await beta uh, beta test conclusion before deploying their own version of the same process. In Europe, they are also testing the vaccine checkpoints and registration processes known as the EU Green Pass. The Green Pass is a similar technological system that gives a vaccinated and registered citizen access to all the venues and locations previously locked down while the COVID-19 virus was uh, being mitigated. What would have been called a vast right-wing conspiracy theory 24 months ago is now a COVID passport process well underway. As with all things in our rapid technological era, you do not have to squint to see the horizon and accept that eventually this process will uh, automate. 
and there will be a gadget or scanning gateway automatically granting you access without a person uh, without a person needing to stand there and scan each cell phone uh, QR code individually. This actually reminds me, uh, just stepping out for a minute, this actually reminds me of, uh, oh, what was that show with Tom Cruise? Um, where the precogs um, determined pre-crime. And everywhere he went, no matter where he walked, he, his iris of his eye was getting scanned. Oh man, the name of the show escapes me. Minority Report. Um, it'll eventually probably come to something like that because your eye, your iris is just as unique as your fingerprint. And it probably, they're probably already doing it with facial ID. They're probably teaching their, their AI programs to do it. But anyway, let's get back to this article. The automated process just makes sense. You are well aware, well aware your cell phone already transmit an, transmits an electronic beacon enabling your Uber or Lyft driver access to your location at the push of a, a touchscreen button. Another convenient app on your phone. So why wouldn't the gateways just accept the same recognizable transmission as a registration of your vaccine compliance arrival at the coffee shop? The automated version is far easier and way cooler than having to reach into your pocket or purse and pulling out that pesky QR code on the screen. Smiles, everyone. The partnership between big tech, big tech and big government is always there to make your transit more streamlined and seamless. Heck, you won't even notice the electronic receiver mounted at the entry. Give it a few weeks and you won't remember the reason you were laughing at Alex Jones anymore. Then you remember why you're taking off your shoes at the airport. However, as this process is created, it is worth considering that you are being quietly changed from an individual person to, to a product. Some are starting to worry about, uh, starting to worry in the beta tests. Um, it could be problematic if your status fails to register correctly, or if the system identifies some form of alternative, alternative lifestyle non-compliance that will block you from entry. Then again, that's what beta tests are for. Working out all these techno bugs and stuff, not to worry, move along. Wait, now that we are squinting at, at the familiar image on the horizon because we know those who control things have been talking about a cashless society for quite a while, we also know the data is considered a major commodity in and of itself. Why do you think every system you encounter in the modern era requires your phone number even when you are not registering for anything? It... <clears throat> meaning you, us, are, get, are all getting linked into this modern registration system that is uh, defining our status. We also know that system operators buy and sell our registered status amid various retail and technologic, uh, technolo uh, excuse me, technology systems. Yeah, that opaque shadow is getting a little clearer now. Perhaps you attempt to purchase dog food and get denied entry into the PetSmart because you didn't renew your car's registration. Or perhaps you are blocked from entry because you forgot to change the oil in your leased vehicle you drive. And Toyota has this weird agreement with some retail consortium. You head to the oil change place that conveniently pops up in the Citizen Compliance app. It's only two blocks away. They clear the alert after they do the, the oil change and, you're gate, and you are gateway compliant again. Missed your booster shot? We are sorry, citizen. Your bank account is frozen until your compliance is restored. Please proceed to the nearest vaccination office as displayed conveniently on your cell phone screen uh, to open all further gates, checkpoints, and tap to continue. Vote for the wrong candidate, attend or donate to a trucker protest. Yes, it seemed transparently obvious that um, where this was heading 
and a Canadian Prime Minister and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau just awakened the masses. Okay, um, that's just one of a two-part. Um, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this yet, because it has come out that they actually are uh, preparing legislation for this. Now, this next one comes to us by the Freedom Forum News. And the title reads, National Regulations Requiring Vaccination as Condition of Employment Being Prepared by Trudeau Liberals. This was written on February 17th, and it was by Chuck Black. While most, most eyes are focused on Ottawa truckers and a parliamentary announcement expected to soon ratify the imposition of the Canadian equivalent of martial law, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau Liberal Minority Government is quietly fast-tracking Labour Code regulations requiring COVID-19 vaccinations for all federal employees and federally regulated industries. It is not the sort of regulation typically expected by minority governments with limited mandates. As we read through this, just keep in mind it's uh, from the 17th, so the Emergency Act... Um, was not uh, was not uh, dropped at that time, so there will be some references to it. But it does provide a great excuse for provincial premiers to relax their unpopular vaccine travel and healthcare edicts to to take the pressure off their political fortunes. So that's right there is a perfect example as to why the pro provincial governments dropped them without. Uh, you know, it seemed like they had no problems at all, and it and it it seemed odd to a lot of us, didn't it, friends? That you know, Mo and Kenny and, you know, everybody was, they just did a complete 180. And by the way, by the way, as, as citizens, Canadian citizens, we still need to demand the evidence that they use to put uh, these mandates in place. So far in my plight to try and get this done in Saskatchewan, I haven't been given any evidence at all from um, the SHA or the Saskatchewan government to date uh, to prove that they had actually the, the proper evidence in place to institute these mandates and they, they've just given they've beaten around the bush and not given me a straight answer about any of it even the war act in saskatchewan they beat around the bush and they're still renewing it by the way they're dropping the mandates on monday but they're renewing the war act monday so what does that tell you they're still prepared for if you're if you're going to be not agreeable with the saskatchewan government they basically still can come and burn down your house and take your livestock and your crops. They're still get granting themselves on Monday. They're going to renew those powers in this province. They might be dropping the mandates, but now we're getting into why they had no problems dropping them at all. There's going to be federal, federal legislation going through. Okay. The new federal, whoops, the new, f excuse me. My mouse is kind of starting to act up. The new federal regulations will supersede long-standing provincial authority over health care, which in Canada has traditionally been administered through the provinces. Although provincial premiers are restricted to a large extent by guidelines, regulations, or negotiations between the federal and provincial governments as part of federal health care funding agreements, the plans are for the new vaccine edicts to, quietly, to be quietly embedded within the Canadian Labour Code one of the traditional federal guidelines influencing provincial government health care policies. Because the objective of the original 1985 legislation was to facilitate production by legislating limits and restrictions to labor strikes and lockouts, and to define the national level occupational safety and health requirements, as well as federal employment standards, the Trudeau Liberals feel that this existing legislation is tailor-made to support their vaccine edicts. 
To be fair to the PM, this political discussion may once have been a reasonable one for Parliament and uh, the people to have. But traditional parliamentary process and due diligence have been bypassed in the mad Trudeau government dash to enact the Emergencies Act, seize funding for legitimate public protests over federal policies, and to maintain the PM's precarious hold on power. An example of this phenomena is highlighted in the February 10th, 2022 Free-to-Fly Rumble update. Free-to-Fly update Labour Code Vax regulation which provides a detailed outline of the federal government's attempt to ram through vaccination regulations by bypassing normal due diligence. The author author of the update is Greg Hill, the co-director of Free to Fly, an advocacy organization composed of 2,860 Canadian aviation professionals and 38,990 passengers working to remove current federal government-imposed pandemic restrictions in the travel industry. Hill draws his conclusion from reading the Canadian Gazette, the official newspaper of the Government of Canada. According to the Canadian Gazette website, since 1841, we have been publishing new uh, statutes, uh, new and proposed regulations and various government and public notices. At first glance, the Canadian Gazette may seem to only be an interest to politicians, lawyers and bankers. However, we publish information that serves all Canadians. The publication allows the federal government to engage stakeholders, voters, and others to help craft regulations. For example, any individual who wants to fill out, uh, fill in a bog on his property to build a house must publish plans to comply with the uh, <clears throat> Navigatable Waters Protection Act in, Ca- in the Canadian Gazette. The public is then allowed to respond to the plans. A construction company intending to build a bridge across a river must also publish its plans to comply with the same act. The public is then allowed to respond to the plans. And if the government proposes changes to any existing legislation, such as the Canadian Labour Code, the federal government must first solicit comments from Canadians through the Canadian Gazette. This process is supposed to involve a consultation period with stakeholders, which ought to be re- uh, which ought to reasonably reasonably include employers, employees, and unions. But according to the the according to Hill, that consultation period, typically taking place over a period of months or years, has been artificial uh, artificially shortened to only a few days, while major stakeholders have not been notified of the legislation. He notes that the expected original Canadian Gazette post announcing the opening of public consultation on the new regulations does not seem to have ever been published. He notes that the proposed changes to the Labour Code as uh, summarized in in the most recent February 16, 2022 Government of Canada Labour Program Forward uh, uh, Regulatory Plan 2021 to 2023 under the title Developing COVID-19 Vaccine Regulations Under the Canadian Labour Code, seem to have been allowed less than two weeks for consultation on the legislation. Hill notes the public consultation tends to take a considerably long period of time, particularly when you're talking about groups as broad as all federally mandated employees. He notes that the new COVID-19 vaccination regulations included... Consultations with federally regulated stakeholders, including employers and employee representatives, which the Canadian Gazette said were held in December 2021. Given that the statement that the the consultations were announced in the Canadian Gazette on December 10th, 2021, he finds it difficult to believe that the normal months of consultation needed for 
appropriate parliamentary due diligence was shortened to, at most, a period of under two weeks. Hill believes that shortcuts were made to limit uh, public awareness of the proposed changes. He encourages the public to contact, uh, connect with federal MPs to convey their concerns over the regulations. It is also worth noting that the December 7, 2021 Government of Canada press release, Government of Canada will require employees in all federally, federally regulated workplaces to be vaccinated against COVID-19, which treats the regulations announced in the, in the Canada Gazette on the same day as a, as a fait accompli and bypass completely, uh, completely the official newspaper of the Cana- Government of Canada. The new regulations are presently expected to come into force as early as 2022, which could be any day now. The imposition, uh, imposition of the Emergencies Act, essentially a declaration of martial law in Canada, will allow the Trudeau Liberals full discretionary power needed to implement almost any legislation they see fit. Given that, it is safe to expect more surprises over the next few days. Now, <clears throat> being that the Trudeau government only had the Emergencies Act in the cup, uh, in for what, two or three, I don't even know, like if not five days, was it, it wasn't very many days. Was that enough time for them to push this legislation through? Will we be finding out that they actually snuck this under the radar and now basically all federal employees or federal regulated uh, industries, now all employees have to have COVID-19 vaccinations? Very interesting, very greasy, uh, but we've come to expect nothing less. And honestly, if they're bypassing normal protocols and checkpoints, um, it's very likely that this is illegal, realistically, realistically. But we've got to keep an eye on this um, because it just would appear, it would appear that this is just, they're, they're bypassing, well, they have been since 2015. So I guess this shouldn't surprise me, but they're bypassing the normal checks and balances we have. And, and they are now fucking with uh, legislation that affects all of us. But... You know, so th- there you go. Um, you've got a couple of reasons. There's a couple reasons why the, I, the Emergency Act could have been re- um, rescinded as quickly as they put it in. A, <clears throat> the uh, World, Economic, World Economic Forum told its puppets, hey, whoa, wait a minute, you just brought attention to the digital ID that we're actually working to get in place in Canada. And B, they only needed a couple days to get their... Uh, <clears throat> To get their labor, uh, their labor legislation changed, to make it basically law in Canada that you've got to be vaccinated. So there's a couple reasons there. Needless to say, we're going to keep an eye on this, and and I don't think this surprises any of you that the Liberals are ge- getting even more greasy, like just behind the scenes greasy, trying to change Canada. Your freedoms are being diminished every single fucking day that these fascists are in. Let's just go heavy air quotes power now. <clears throat> I think, I don't know if I covered this on the last show, but uh, it, the last election uh, that we just went through, the uh, Elections Canada uh, came forward and apologized for the fact that they didn't count, they didn't count 207,000 mail-in ballots. Uh, they just, just flat out admitted it, Elections Canada did. Well, what was the, um, the win margin for the Liberals over the Conservatives? It was 197,000. So you basically have... 207,000 mail-in ballots that were not counted with a win margin of 197,000. So the last election in Canada is illegitimate. It's not even legal. 
the win, there's, there's mail-in ballots that outnumber the win margin. Does that surprise you? I doubt it. I doubt nothing surprises you about this t- basically tyrannical fascist fucking di- dictatorship that we're living under right now. They don't give a shit. They don't even give a flying fuck that election Canada. They're just going to pretend it wasn't said. But, you know, ever since, and you guys have heard me say this before, ever since, what, 2017, when they voted to reintegrate ISIS fighters, enemies of Canada, into this country, we haven't had a government. That is open treason. Open treason. To aid and abet um, enemies of Canada, to knowingly aid and abet enemies of Canada, that is full-on treason. And it's still punishable by death in Canada, by the way. But since that, since that vote in Parliament, when uh, all the Liberal cabinet, except for their, their core, they had their core people miss that vote intentionally, because <clears throat> for those of us that are well aware of what they just did, we still couldn't get Trudeau or Freeland. They had all their core people missing. They had all their, their, uh, the rest of their puppets vote yes, uh, no, actually, because it was the Conservatives trying to stop it. And all the, all the Liberals said no, and uh, they went ahead and started bringing... Uh, enemies of Canada within into Canada. So what I'm getting at is since 2017, I believe it was December 4th, uh, December 4th, 2017, we haven't actually had a legal government in this country. We haven't. And then it goes to show, then they have another election uh, and uh, now you've got, you've got an air, uh, <clears throat> a margin of victory that is outnumbered by mail-in ballots that weren't counted. So we're still running under this false guys that we actually have a government we don't and we haven't for quite a number of years okay my friends let's uh let's move on here okay what i want to do next my friends um as you heard me say earlier when you live in a propaganda state a tyrannical state like we do in canada where you cannot trust anything you're hearing from the mainstream news um nobody's getting the real story on ukraine and russia um, you have to resort to basically hearing it from uh, <clears throat> the man that uh, has pushed pushed back, I guess, against NATO. Now, you guys have heard me say that I, I, I believe that um, Putin is responding to the NATO buildup of nuclear weapons along the Ukrainian border with Russia. Well, in his address, he, he actually specifically talks about this. So... Rather than listening to the propaganda, let's listen to P- uh, P- Putin himself. I'm going to read the transcript. And now it's extremely long, but we're going to try and get through it here just so you guys can maybe get an insight on what it is that, that Putin is trying to accomplish here. Um, now, this comes to us by way of Bloomberg, and the title reads, Transcript Vladimir Putin's Televised Address on, on Ukraine. Uh, this was on February 24th, 2022. <clears throat> Citizens of Russia, friends, I consider it necessary today to speak again about the tragic events in Donbass and the key aspects of ensuring the security of Russia. I will speak with what I said in my address on February 21st, 2022. I spoke about our biggest concerns and worries and about the fundamental threats which uh, irresponsible Western politicians created for Russia consistently, rudely, and unceremoniously from year to year. I'm referring to the eastward expansion of NATO, which is moving its military infrastructure ever closer to the Russian border. 
it is a fact that over the past 30 years, we have been patiently trying to come to an agreement with the leading NATO countries regarding the principles of equal and indivisible security in Europe. In response to our proposals, we invariably faced either cynical deception and lies or attempts at pressure and blackmail. While the North Atlantic Alliance continued to expand despite our protests and concerns. Its military machine is moving and, as I said, is approaching our very border. Why is this happening? Why did this insolent manner of talking down from the height of an exceptionalism, infallibility, and all permissiveness come from? What is the ex explanation for this contemptuous and disdainful attitude to our interests and absolute legitimate demands? The answer is simple. Everything is clear and obvious. In the late 1980s, the Soviet Union grew weaker and subsequently broke apart. That experience should serve as a good lesson for us because it has shown us that the paralysis of power, that the paralysis of power and will is the first step towards complete degradation and oblivion. We lost confidence for only one moment, but it was enough to disrupt the balance of forces in the world. As a result, the old treaties and agreements are no longer effective. Entreaties and requests do not help. Anything that does not suit the dominant state, the powers that be, is denounced by, is denounced as archaic, archaic, obsolete, and useless. At the same time, everything it regards as useful is presented in the ultimate truth and forced on others regardless of the cost, abusively and by any means available. Those who refuse to comply are subjected to strong-arm tactics. What I am saying now does not concern only Russia, and Russia is not the only country that is worried about this. This has to do with the entire system of international relations and sometimes even U.S. allies. The collapse of the Soviet Union led to a redivision uh, re of the world and the norms of international law that developed by that time. And the most important of them, the fundamental norms that were adopting follow, adopted following World War II and largely formalized its outcome, came in by way of those who declared themselves the winner of the Cold War. Of course, practice, international relations, and the rules regulating them had to take into account the changes that took place in the world and in the balance of forces. However, this should have been done professionally, smoothly, patiently, and with due regard and respect for the interests of all states and one's own responsibility. Instead, we saw a state of euphoria created by the feeling of absolute superiority and a kind of modern absolutism coupled with, a, with, the, with the low cultural standard and arrogance of those who formulated and pushed through decisions that suited only themselves. The situation took a different turn. There are many examples of this. First, a bloody military operation was waged in Belgrade. Without the UN Security Council's sanction, but with combat aircraft and missiles used at the heart of Europe. The bombing of peaceful cities and vital infrastructure went on for several weeks. I have to recall these facts because some of Western, some Western colleagues prefer to forget them. And when we, mentioned this, the, uh, when we mentioned the event, they prefer to avoid speaking about international law instead emphasizing circumstances in which they interpret as they think necessary. Then came the turn of Iraq, Libya, and Syria. The illegal use of military power against Libya and the distortion of all the UN Security Council decisions on Libya ruined that state, 
created a huge seed of international terrorism and pushed the country towards a human humanitarian catastrophe into the vortex of a civil war, which has continued there for years. The tragedy which has created the tragedy which was created for hundreds of thousands and even millions of people, not only in Libya, but the whole region has led to large, uh, large scale exodus from the Middle East and North Africa to Europe. A similar fate was also prepared for Syria. The combat operations conducted by, West, by the Western coalition in that country without the Syrian government's approval or UN Security Council's sanction can only be defined as aggression and intervention. <clears throat> but the, examples of the, of the example that stands apart um, from the above event is, of course, the invasion of Iraq without any legal grounds. They use the pretext of allegedly reliable information available in the United States about the presence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. To prove that allegation, the U.S. Secretary of State held up, held up a vial with white power publicly for the whole world to see, assuring the international community that it was a chemical warfare agent created in Iraq. It later turned out that all of that was fake and a sham, and that Iraq did not have any chemical weapons. Incredible and shocking, but true. We witness lies made at the highest state level and voiced from the high UN rostrum. As a result, we see a tremendous loss. We um, as a lot. Excuse me. As a result, we see a tremendous loss of human life, damage, destruction, and colossal upsurge of terrorism. Overall, it appears that nearly everywhere in many regions of the world where the United States brought its law and order, this created bloody, non-healing wounds and the cure of international ter and the curse of international terrorism and extremism i have only mentioned the most glaring but far from only examples of disregard for international law this array includes promises not to expand nato east eastwards even by an inch to reiterate they have deceived us or to put it simply they have played us sure one often hears that politics is a dirty business. It could be, but it shouldn't be as dirty as it is now. Not to such an extent. This type of con artist behavior is contrary <clears throat> not only to the principles of international relations, but also and above all to the generally accepted norms of morality and ethics. Where is the justice and truth here? Just lies, <laughs> just lies and hypocrisy all around. Incidentally, U.S. politicians, political scientists, and journalists write and say that a ver uh, <clears throat> veritable empire of lies has been created inside the United States in recent years. And it's hard to disagree with this. It is, <clears throat> it is really so. But one should be, the, should be modest about it. The United States is still a great country and a system of forming power. And a system forming power. All its satellites not only humbly and obediently say yes to and parrot, parrot it at the slightest pretext, but also imitate its behavior and enthusiastically accept the rules it is offering them. Therefore, one can say with good reason and confidence that the, the whole so-called Western bloc formed by the United States in its own image and, and likeness is, in its entirety, the very same empire of lies. As for our country, after the disintegration of the USSR, Given the entire unprecedented openness of the new modern Russia, its readiness to work honestly with the United States and other Western partners, and its practically unilateral dis disarmament, they immediately tried to put the final squeeze on us, finish us off, and ultimately destroy us. <clears throat> this is how it was in the 1990s and early 2000s. 
when the so-called collective West was actively supporting separatism and gangs of mercenaries in southern Russia. What victims, what losses we had had to sustain and what trials we had to go through at that time before we uh, we broke the back of international terrorism in the Caucasus. We remember this and we'll never forget. Properly speaking, the attempts to, uh, to use us in their own interests never ceased until quite recently. They, su- they sought to destroy our traditional values and force, us, uh, force on us their false values that would erode us, our people from within. The attitudes they have been aggressively imposing on their countries, attitudes that are directly leading to degradation, degradation and degeneration because they are co- uh, contrary to human nature. This is not going to happen. No one has ever succeeded in doing this, nor will they succeed now. Despite all that, in December 2021, we made yet another attempt to reach an agreement with the United States and its allies on the principles of European security and NATO's non-expansion. Our efforts were in vain. The United States has not changed its position and does not believe it necessary to agree with Russia on a matter that is critical for us. The United States is pursuing its own objectives while neglecting our interests. Of course, this situation begs a question. What next? What are, what are we to expect? If history is any guide, we know that in 1940 and early 1941, the Soviet Union went to great lengths to prevent war or at least delay its outbreak. To this end, the USSR sought to not provoke the potential aggressor, aggressor until um, the very end, refraining or postponing the most urgent and obvious preparations it had to make to defend itself from an imminent attack. When it finally acted, it was too late. As a result, the country was not prepared to counter the invasion by Nazi Germany, which attacked our motherland on June 22, 1941, without declaring war. The country stopped the enemy and went on to defeat it, but this <clears throat> came at a tremendous cost. The attempt to appease the aggressor ahead of the... Uh, of, a, of the great patriotic war proved to be a mistake which came at high cost for our people. In the first months after the hostiles broke out, hostilities broke out, we lost vast territories of strategic importance as well as millions of lives. We will not make this mistake a second time and we have no right to do so. Those who aspire to global dominance have publicly designated Russia as their enemy. They did so with impunity. Make no mistake, they had no reason to act this way. It is true they have considerable financial, scientific, and technological and military military capabilities. We are aware of this and we have an objective view of the economic threats that have been that we have been hearing. Just as our ability to counter this brash, never-ending blackmail, let us reiterate that we have no illusions in this regard and are extremely realistic in our assessment. As for military affairs, <clears throat> even after the dissolution of the USSR and losing a considerable part, part of its capabilities, today's Russia remains one of the most powerful nuclear states. More, moreover, it has a certain advantage in several cutting-edge weapons. In this context, we should, be no, we should be no doubt for anyone that any potential aggressor will face defeat and ominous consequences should they directly attack our country. At the same time, technology, including the defense sector, is now changing rapidly. One day there, w- there is one leader and tomorrow another. But military presence in territories bordering on Russia, if we permit it to go ahead, will stay for decades to come or maybe forever, creating an ever-mounting and totally unacceptable threat for Russia. Even now, with NATO's eastward expansion, the situation for Ru- Russia has, be- has been becoming worse and more dangerous by the year. 
Moreover, the past days, NATO leadership has been blunt in its statement that they need to accelerate and step up efforts to bring the alliance infra- alliance's infrastructure closer to the Russian, Russian borders. In other words, they have been toughening their position. We cannot stay idly or passively uh, and passively observe their developments. This would be an absolutely irresponsible thing for us to do. Any further expansions of the North Atlantic Alliance infrastructure or the ongoing efforts to gain a military foothold of the Ukrainian territory are unacceptable for us. Of course, the question is not about NATO itself. It merely serves as a tool of U.S. foreign policy. The problem is that the territories adjacent to Russia, which I have to note is our historical land, a hostile anti-Russia is taking shape. Fully controlled from the outside, it is doing everything to attract NATO armed forces to obtain cutting edge weapons. For the United States and its allies, it is a policy of containing Russia with obvious, obvious geopolitical dividends. For our country, it is a matter of life and death, a matter of historical uh, future as a nation. This is not an exaggeration. This is fact. It is not only the very real threat to our interests, but the very existence of our state and to its sovereignty. It is the red line which we have spoken about on numerous occasions. They have crossed it. This brings me to the situation on Donbass. We can see that the forces that staged a coup in Ukraine in 2014 have seized power and are keeping it with the help of ornamental election procedures that have abandoned the path of peaceful conflict settlement of a peaceful conflict settlement. For eight years, for eight endless years, we have been doing everything possible to settle the situation by peaceful political means. Everything was in vain. As I said in my previous address, you can look without compassion at what is happening there. You cannot look without compassion at what is happening there. It has become impossible to tolerate it. We have to stop that atrocity, that genocide of the millions of people who live there who pinned their hopes on Russia, on all of us. It is their aspirations, the feeling, of pa- the feeling and pain of these people that were the main motiv- uh, motivating force behind our, deci- behind our decision to recognize the independence of the Donbass people, re- People's Republic. I would like to additionally emphasize the following. Focusing on their goals, the leading NATO, NATO countries are supporting the far-right nationals, nationalists and neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Those who, those who will never uh, forgive the people of Crimea and Svetopol uh, for freely making a choice to reunite with Russia. They are undoubtedly, they will undoubtedly try to bring war to Crimea just as they have done in Donbass, to kill innocent people just as members of the punitive units of Ukraine nationalists and Hitler's accomplices did during the Great Patriotic War. They have also openly laid claim to several other Russian regions. If we look at the uh, sequence of events and the incoming reports, the shadow between Russia and these forces cannot be avoided. The showdown between Russia and these forces cannot be avoided. It is only a matter of time. They are getting ready and waiting for the right moment. Moreover, they went as far as to aspire to acquire nuclear weapons. We will not let that happen. I have already said that Russia accepted the new geopolitical reality after the dissolution of the USSR. We have been treating all new post-Soviet states with respect and will continue to act this way. We respect and will respect their sovereignty. As proven by the assistance we've provided to Kazakhstan when it faced tragic events and a challenge in terms of its statehood and integrity. However, Russia cannot feel safe 
develop and, <clears throat> and exist while facing a permanent threat from a territory from the territory of today's Ukraine. Let, re- let me remind you that in 2000 to 2005, we used our military to push back against terrorists in the uh, Caucasus and stood up for the integrity of our state. We preserved Russia in 2014 and supported the people of Crimea and uh, Sevastopol. In 2015, we used our armed forces to create a reliable shield that prevented terrorists from Syria from penetrating Russia. This was a matter of defending ourselves. We had no other choice. The same is happening today. They did not leave us any other option for defending Russia and our people, other than the one we are forced to use today. In these circumstances, we have to take bold and immediate action. The People's Republic of Donbass have asked Russia for help. In this context, in accordance with Article 51, Chapter um, 7 of the UN Charter, with permission of, Rus- of the Russian Federation Council, and in its execution of the Treaties of Friendship and Mutual Assistance with, Don- with the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk Lugansk People's Republic, ratified by the Federal Assembly on February 22nd, I made a decision to carry out a special military operation. The purpose of this operation is to protect the people who, for eight years now, have been facing humiliation and genocide perpetuated by the Kiev regime. To this end, I will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, as well as to bring to trial those who perpetrated numerous bloody crimes against civilians, including against citizens of the Russian Federation. It is not our plan to occupy the Ukrainian territory. We do not intend to impose anything on anyone by force. At the same time, we have been hearing an increasing number of statements becoming from the West that there is no need anymore to abide by the documents settling forth the outcomes of World War II as signed by the totalitarian Soviet regime. How can we respond to that? The outcomes of World War II and the sacrifices our people had to make to defeat Nazism are sacred. This does not contradict the high values of human rights and freedoms in the reality that emerged over the post-war decades. This does not mean that the nations cannot enjoy uh, the right to self-determination, which is enshrined in Article 1 of the UN Charter. Let me remind you, the people living in territories which are part of today's Ukraine were not asked how they want to build their lives when the USSR was created after World War II. Freedom uh, Freedom guides our policy, the freedom to choose independently our futures and the futures of our children. We believe that all peoples living in today's Ukraine, anyone who wants to do this, must be able to enjoy the right to make a free choice. In this context, I would like to address the citizens of Ukraine. In 2014, Russia um, was obliged to protect the people of Crimea and Sevastopol from those you yourself call Nats. The people of uh, Crimea and Sevastopol made their choice in favor of being with their historical homeland, Russia, and we supported their choice. As I said, we could not act otherwise. In current events, nothing to do with uh, <clears throat> a, dis- a, dis- a desire to infringe on the interests of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. They are connected with defending Russia from those who have taken Ukrainian- Ukraine hostage and are trying to use it against our country and our people. I reiterate, we are acting to defend ourselves from the threats created for us and from a worse, per- and from a worse peril than what is happening now. I am asking you, however hard this, however hard this may be, to understand this and to work together with us so as to turn this tragic page as soon as possible and move forward together. 
without allowing anyone to interfere in our affairs, our relationship, but developing them independently. So as to create favorable conditions for overcoming all these problems and strengthen us from within as a single whole, despite the existence of state borders. I believe in this in our common future. I would also like to address the military personnel of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. Comrade officers, your fathers, grandfathers, and great-grandfathers did not fight the Nazi occupiers and did not defend our common motherland to allow today's neo-Nazis to seize power in Ukraine. You swore the oath of allegiance to the Ukrainian people and not to the junta of peoples, not to the junta, the people's adversary which is plundering Ukraine and humiliating Ukrainian people. I urge you to refuse to carry out their criminal orders. I urge you to immediately lay down your arms and go, go home. I will explain what this means. <coughs> the military personnel of the Ukrainian army who do this will be able to freely leave the zones of hostilities and return to their families. I want to emphasize again that all responsibility for the possible, possible bloodshed will lie fully and wholly on the ruling Ukrainian regime. I would now like to say something very important for those who may be tempted to interfere in these, in these developments from the outside. No matter who tries to stand in our way or all those, or all, or all the more so, cr uh, excuse me, no matter who tries to stand in our way or all those more so create threats for our country and our people, they must know that Russia will respond immediately and the consequences will be such that you have never seen in your entire history. No matter how the events unfold, we are ready. All the necessary decisions in this regard have been taken. I hope my words will be heard. Boom. <clears throat> now, compare and contrast that with what you're hearing from the propaganda that in, in our country, in our, in our tyrannical state in Canada. You've got <clears throat> just an idiot. Uh, we are going to put more sanctions on Russia and all this stuff. You know, I, I, as you can tell, I have a tendency to swing a little bit more towards Putin than I do my own uh, Canadian government because I do not trust them whatsoever. The last two years <clears throat> have been nothing but lies coming out of the U.S. and Canada, especially when you take into account that they just overthrew a duly elected president in the United States by, by way of a soft coup, which would be an election fraud. And like we were talking about earlier, the same thing happened in Canada. The error, the, the, the win margin as compared to the um, mail-in ballots that weren't counted. So we also have an illegitimate fucking uh, government in Canada. So do, do, I, do I stand with Trudeau and um, with Biden or any other Western leaders that are, that are saying this is all Russian aggression? Fuck no. Does that make me a traitor to Canada? Hell no. I haven't trusted my government since 2011. 2001 <laughs> even before that 9-11 was when I woke up and from that point on I never trusted any government but I'm also fully aware that Putin while the WEF is claiming that he's still on the World Economic Forum I don't know if they I don't know if you could ever actually stake that claim I don't know I really don't know like all we can do is speculate at this but when you read stuff stuff like that you know, I, I truly believe that uh, P Putin has the uh, <clears throat> the defense of his country in mind. And and we know, we know damn well that the U.S. and Canada and everybody involved in NATO, um, they've been picking fights and, and overthrowing governments. And like when you think of Syria and Libya, like we know what we know what the Clintons did to, to Gaddafi. 
were fully aware of what they did to Gaddafi. Like, uh, Libya was a booming and prosperous country before the Clintons fucking killed Gaddafi. So who do you trust? Who do you listen to? I don't know. I don't necessarily um, trust Putin either. But once you hear his own words to his people, you know, have have you ever heard? Have you ever actually heard a Western leader ever, like since Eisenhower, give an address like that? Nope. They won't even barely stand in front of it. They can't even answer questions. They can't even answer questions in the House of Commons from their own opposition. None of them is, is actually can, capable of delivering an, an address like that to their country. Well, the last time we heard amazing addresses to a country was from President Trump, where he made everybody believe that they could be, you know, anything that they wanted to be and their country would, was, would be prosperous. And it was under him. <clears throat> So I guess it's, it's, you know, I will put it in the take it or leave it column because I know a lot of people are, are seeing this, the Russian, they're seeing it as a, as a, I guess an attack on Ukraine. But honestly, I, I just, me personally, I don't see it that way. I, I, I believe that NATO has been instigating Russia, uh, through a puppet presidency in Ukraine for years. And, uh, when I read these words of, uh, Putin's, I was kind of like, damn straight damn straight so now whether i made you mad by doing this or or you kind of see it see it the same way i do um you know that's that's entirely up that's debatable you can reach out to me and tell me that hey don't ever do that again (laughs) or i'll probably tell you to get fucked but uh you you're you're entitled to your opinion um i just i just wanted people to to at least get an, an unbiased view of what is happening right now in that country and you got to admit the targets that he's taken out um, with the airstrikes, I mean, all level four bio labs, all level four bio labs, and, and of course, all the Ukrainian military uh, infrastructure, he, he basically rendered them within the first 24 hours. He, he rendered their military almost uh, fucking useless, right? Now, there are, you know, there are reports. I've, I've heard of the, um, the ghost of Kiev. I know that the Ukrainian military is fighting back. There are some that are fighting back. And honestly, you know, I, I don't, you know, the, the Ukrainian people are caught in the mix of this and I feel for them. And I don't think that, that, <clears throat> that, uh, this is necessarily right. But I, I, I think when, when you've got it, you know, like, like, like Putin said before this all happened, how would the U S respond if I started uh, basically putting nukes on the border of Canada, how would they respond? Of course they would attack. Of course they would. And he was backed into a corner and had to attack. So before you think I'm on one side or the other, or I'm, or I'm, <laughs> I'm a complete traitor to, to North America, at least look at it objectively <clears throat> and hear it from the other side. Now we'll see how this plays out. I honestly think that the Western, Western leaders are fucking, I don't think they've got the balls to even go up against them. They'll try and do some uh, clandestine crap. And you know that the you know that the Russians in Crimea, uh, you talk about the conflict in Crimea in 2014. A lot of people are unaware that the Russians were sniping the so-called trainers, the American trainers, which was what the CIA, probably some military guys training the rebels in uh, Crimea to fight fight the Russians. Well, they picked them all off, including a Pentagon general, a five-star Pentagon general that wasn't supposed to be there. They injured him. They didn't kill him. Never did find out who it was. But uh, a five-star Pentagon general was there, and the Russians picked him off. So that goes to show you 
<clears throat> the level of U.S. personnel that was in Crimea. So don't think it's any different in the in Ukraine. You can bet your bottom dollar that all the greasy clandestine motherfuckers, like the CIA and fucking all of them, are in Ukraine and they're causing this shit. I would have no doubt about that. <clears throat> so, honestly, I think that probably this will be a short, short conflict. If I, I hope, I hope it's a short conflict. I hope Russia can clear them out and basically put them in their fucking place and then return Ukraine to the Ukrainian people. Now, of course, you've got to get rid of the puppet president that uh, the, the, the West put in. Like, they need to a return to democracy. But we'll see how this plays out. Anyway, we've gone way over because that address was extremely long. There was other things that I wanted to cover today, but we'll get to them. Um, <clears throat> might be as early as tomorrow uh, because of the gap in shows. Uh, I might uh, kick one out in the next couple of days here, so we're kind of caught up here. But anyway, my friends, if you want to reach out to me, if you do not agree with what I've been telling you in this show at all, well, then reach out to me. Tell me. Tell me, tell me why and give me reasons. Don't just say, hey, you're wrong. Uh, back it up. Send me stuff that, that points that uh, you've got evidence to suggest otherwise, and I will take it to, into account. Um, you can find me on Facebook. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. <clears throat> Use the me- message button. It comes directly to me. If you prefer email, it's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. Uh, I encourage everybody to keep contributing to the Telegram page, which is t.me backslash CPR underscore um, <clears> two. <throat> or if you prefer websites, it's CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Thank you for tuning in again, my friends. Uh, sorry for, like I said, for the gap in shows. And as always, it's only word of mouth that the show gets out. Um, so if you guys wouldn't mind, if you like the show, well, then share it. Share it on any platform you see fit. And uh, it's it's actually you guys that are bringing more people to to uh, CPR. So thank you for everybody that's been sharing, sharing the show. And uh, until next time, my friends, in all thy sons command. <laughs> joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care. Thank you.